Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of Hollywood Breaks. It's great to be with you on this Monday morning. Keith and I were processing over the weekend what it's like to go to work at Netflix on a Monday after the earnings reports come out on Friday. We're asking questions of really the life of living a Hollywood career and understanding like the comings and goings of decision-making. So we like this and many other great questions like Comic-Con, building up an empire, and maybe possibly throwing it back down. That and many other questions here on this episode of Hollywood Breaks. One thing I'm constantly curious about is people's careers. I think it's mm. interesting how people go from one job to the other, that you have to kind of, especially in Hollywood, stack a bunch of good things together True. in order to kind of make a career. And then the minute you have like one hit or you can kind of like step over the line and kind of be in the zeitgeist. And then if you have one dive, you're right back to just being a normal person again. You're only as good as your last movie, Tim. That's the device. Yeah, yeah, that's what, right. That's the that's yeah. the saying. And there's something realistic about the Hollywood mm -hmm. experience that way. So I think the people that do it well have like a good, strong strategy. <clears throat> and Tom Cruise is one I can respect that he's basically crushing it. <laughs> even when he did dumb stuff, didn't didn't uh, fall far enough that he can't still be Maverick or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Um, but when it comes to like most of us that get into Hollywood, I don't think we we realize that at the very beginning. I think there's a lot of just like research or ideas or we're very naive of like, I know I'm just going to be a famous actor. And then that's the way we kind of go about our Hollywood careers. Yep. But who, do, you know, when you're thinking about careers, who do you respect career wise? So just people that have done a good job. And I, I'm going to guess that it's people more behind the scenes, people we don't know. Um, than we do know, because I think Ooh. most people I respect are ones are like, oh, you know, people that have survived a studio system for 20 mm -hmm. something years. That's a pretty good career. Yeah. Um, I, well, I would say just, um, well, it's kind of off the top of my head, but uh, I say Donna Langley at Universal, or I call her, she's Dame Donna Langley now. She just got appointed by the queen, whatever that's called. Um I think she's had a really impressive career. Um, she's run Universal really well over the last decade or so. It's been a very steady studio, very committed to theatrical experience. Uh, I'd also say Peter Chernin, who I you know worked with very briefly at Fox, um, was one of those guys who could walk into a room. He didn't say a lot, but when he spoke, everybody listened. And I always sort of respected that about him. He could even get Tom Rothman to just kind of stop talking, which is a feat in and of itself. So, uh, you know, I'd say those are probably the two that come to the top of um, mind for me. Um, again, just because they've, they've had really great track records. Peter Chernin's not even really in the industry. He kind of is, but he's like doing his own thing now. And, you know, I've really respected the track of his career and kind of how he started at small and worked his way up and then eventually became Rupert Murdoch's number two at Fox. And then Don, obviously running Universal when she started as a C at New Line, so. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, because we often don't think about the people that are running the studios as a career-driven thing. So we think of directors and actors, and that's yeah. about as far as we go, right? People we see on stage at the Oscars are the ones that we, we might or might think about. Yep. But there, I think that there's a collection of things that have to make things, uh, a collective of things you have to do in a career to make it happen. Um, uh, yeah, I think for, for me, like one person that's really impressive that is John Favreau. Mm. Like I, you know, there's this really weird trajectory of 
swingers to elf. And then somehow he ever leverages elf to get himself to Marvel mm-hmm. and becoming really the creator of this like Marvel universe. Like he's at the beginning of this idea of like, Hey, and you have to, he, not, not, he didn't work alone at it, but he put the pieces together to understand how the Marvel universe comes together and clearly gave birth to even a new type of filmmaking and world. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I say that because, you know, Comic-Con happened over this weekend and there's been another, I don't know, 79 phases of uh, yeah. the Marvel universe launch. <laughs> and I almost wonder like who's going to be when, when things lose their vision or they become, you know, greater in scale than the original vision. Mm-hmm. It, I think it becomes very obvious. And this mm-hmm. Marvel play for Disney is something of like, it's a cash cow. So making TV shows and, comedy bits like Thor love and thunder. And I saw the She-Hulk trailer. Like there's feel like they go into comedy with some of it. <laughs> She-Hulk. I was having a- call it She-Hulk. <laughs> She-Hulk. We're that not doing be- Hawkeye yet. We're not doing the female Hawkeye. Yet. No, but we need a She-Hulk. <laughs> no, She-Hulk. You're right. Um, but there's like, you know, like, there's just so much, these next phases of Marvel feel so strange compared to what the original vision is. Um, and I wonder like, what's going to come of this? How does this stack up to become the next thing in Hollywood? Yeah. I mean, well, it's, I mean, for, I mean, I had kind of trouble tracking it myself and I'm still kind of piecing together, but, uh, so phase four, which we're, I guess, currently in will come to an end with Wakanda forever, which is the, um, next black Panther movie, which was, they released a fantastic trailer. I encourage everyone to check it out. It's a great piece. Um, that comes out, I think, in November, and that will officially close phase four. Phase five will begin with the um, the next Ant-Man movie, and that will run, I think, to the next Captain America movie, which is New World Order. And then phase six will start with the fan. They only announced three, P- three, three movies in phase six. I think it was Fantastic Four. And then two new Avengers movies, uh, Kang Dynasty and Secret Wars. And Secret Wars, I guess, will bring an end to Phase 6 and the multiverse saga. That's, that's what they are calling it. So It feels like Phase 4, if I were to summarize, that's the introduction of the next people that are going to be doing it. So you have Black Widow and her sister. Yep. You have Ant-Man and... I don't know what, what her Wasp. name is. Bumblebee. Wasp. Wasp. No. <laughs> <laughs> Close. Um, uh, Thor Love and Thunder finishes with his daughter. Ah! Well, not his actual daughter, but it's like, you haven't seen Love and Thunder yet? Spoiler alert, Tim. I haven't seen it yet. Sorry. Jeez. Oh, Love and Thunder finishes with another person. Um, I'm going to guess Wakanda forever. We're going to see someone else taking yes. over the claws. Black. So yep. I feel like Phase four is like, oh, we have to transition from the original cast to a new cast of people that are going to keep it going. Yeah. And there are a bunch of other shows and like She-Hulk's in there. There's a Daredevil show in there. Um, there's a... Yeah, well, he started the multiverse. I mean, well, is He brought on a new like sidekick. He broke the multiverse basically, right? That's the sort of... The, I, I haven't finished Into the Multiverse yet, so I haven't finished it, but I think he broke it. And and Loki, you haven't finished it yet. What, are you Lo- dude? Come on, dude. Just like start it. Like- <laughs> you always give me, you always give me grief, Tim. I saw Top Gun before you. Back off. <laughs> so right. uh, I've seen it twice. Okay, good for you. 
Um, gold star for Tim for seeing Top Gun twice. Uh, mm. See, let me, now I lost my train of thought. No, I was just saying that the sidekicks, it feels like phase four is interesting. The sidekicks. So you have She-Hulk, you got Daredevil. There's going to be like a Thunderbolt, Thunder something Bolt movie, which I guess is all villains. Uh, I, I get the sense that Dr. Doom is going to play a, a heavy role in a lot of this. Just from sort of doing a little bit of research and, you know, who the villains are and sort of the Secret Wars and Kang Dynasty comics in terms of the Avengers. So Doom's going to play a little bit. The guy who was the villain in Loki, the guy who was kind of holding the multiverse together, but was actually a villain. I think he's going to be a big part of it. He might be the next Thanos. There's a lot of moving parts. I'm personally excited because as those of you who are regular readers of Vision of Founders Brew, uh, well, no, I was a little concerned. I wrote about this, I think, last week about how Marvel seems to be a little aimless in terms of where it's heading. And I encourage them to sort of go back to the mode of building towards something. Um, so they're actually doing that. So I'm, I'm actually excited that they're they're. I'm glad they're reading your newsletter. Yeah, yes. I mean, I'm glad Kevin Feige's a subscriber. There are a lot of fishy <laughs> emails in there in my subscriber list, so it very well could be Kevin Feige. You never know. Yes. So uh, I'm happy to see that they're kind of building towards something because that's really what makes the story so great. And um, there was a really great piece in the Wall Street Journal this weekend. Um, and I'll look it up so everyone can look it up for those who read the Wall Street Journal about how the story story building and this these these infinite universes that story universes they're building sort of have really sort of touched a nerve with us because it kind of goes all the way back to um, us you know as human beings and the culture is something that we we sort of are, are gleaming to. I mean, I know there are a lot of people who complain that there's not a lot of originality anymore. There's no original stories, and but. They are building a very fascinating universe with all these characters, and I think that's that's exciting to watch, personally. Yeah, we'll see. I feel like it plays well to the Comic Con audience. I, as you kind of list things off, there's just a part of me that just thinks like this is getting boring. Like I, yeah. I think the yeah. TV shows to the films to, I, you know, I, what I liked about <laughs> Love and Thunder isn't necessarily like the revelation of more of the universe than just like the use of um 80 soundtracks and some of the the well, sort I mean, of bit pieces yeah. that they did i mean that's the other thing they i mean they do have to start getting a little bit of the quality under control because they've the problem with doing so i mean when you look at the first few three phases they were all films there was a little bit of agents of shield from the abc show but it wasn't a lot right it was very minor in terms of what you had to see the movies to really get a feel for what was happening and build up to you know the the Infinity Gauntlet series, but they've added so much more now with the shows on Disney Plus that it's almost impossible to be able to, you know, wrangle it all to make sure it meets the quality standard they're used to. It's really that it's really I'd call it kind of like the Pixar problem. What made Pixar so brilliant was that they didn't rush movies out. They took their time. It was like three years. You know, they wouldn't rush a story. They'd work on it till it was good and it was right and had the right emotional beats. And then they started getting a little like, ooh, we've got all these franchises we got to build. And then all of a sudden they start churning out movies that don't fit the brand that they spent years building. And Marvel's at that inflection point, I feel like, where they can go one of two ways. They can either go the way of Pixar and start, you know, chipping away at some of that brand equity they've built over the last 12 or 20 years or however long it's been, or they double down and they make sure that everything's, you know, meeting the brand expectation. 
And I think that's kind of what Foggy's next struggle is going to be is sort of meeting that, that expectation because he's spent countless dollar money, time, whatever you want to call it, building a brand for Marvel and Marvel films that it pays off. Yeah. I feel like Marvel, Marvel right now feels to me like Looney Tunes. Like I'm just watching another episode with like the same Bugs. characters, but I have no <laughs> idea what how it's going to play itself yeah. out. And then it's just yeah. like an episode, and then it doesn't have to relate to the next episode, a previous episode. I, in my mind, it just is like okay, I'm just watching Bugs and Daffy. And yeah, I think they have to go. I have to. I, I think what the key is, they have to move beyond like the sort of the Marvel, f- the comic book formula of hero become unwilling hero hero with conflict, hero with angst, whatever it is. Dude cho- some villain shows up, wants to destroy the world, hero has to fight, they save the world. Okay, little tidbit to what's coming next in the next movie. They kind of have to move beyond that. And I don't know the solution. I don't know the answer. I don't know the comic books well enough in and out to see if there are any storylines that are worth exploring. Um, but I think they're going to have to sort of explore that a little bit more and not <clears throat> leave it so tied up in a nice pretty bow at the end of every movie with a little post-credit sequence that sort of explains the nugget of the next movie. So I, I just, you know, I think there's a lot of challenges they have. Or they have to move on. Like we were saying, like you have to, in, in Hollywood, you have to st- have a strategy of things you stack together and you have yeah. to know kind of like when this world is done or needs a reboot or. Yeah. Kevin Feige, who I would have probably going back to our initial conversation, would add him to another list of an executive I admire just from the fact the way he started and, you know, the way he's been able to find directors who really have appreciation for characters, I think something that DC often struggles with. Um, but I think he has the cachet with Disney to say, listen, this isn't right. I don't feel good about this. Um, I think a lot of this is them pushing him to feed the content beast. And obviously he wants to, I mean, he wants to tell these stories, a comic book nerd. He wants to tell a lot of these stories. Um, but again, the, the, the problem is you're going to start chipping away at that brand equity. And what they did so brilliantly was they, they broadened a comic book movie to just beyond the, for those of you who f- remember the early, early aughts, the ain't it cool news crowd um, who are going to go see the movie regardless of whether or not, you know, they just like to complain about it, but he was able to broaden uh, the audience beyond just that crowd, which is an achievement in of itself. But now he has to sustain it and continue to grow it if it's going to return invest uh, revenue for the parent company. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I, it's, I'm just I, I get like when you're feeding the Comic Con audience how you're playing games, and mm-hmm. I mean, I, the She Hulk trailer seems fun. I don't know. Yeah. It seemed fun. I can imagine being in a crowd of people and the yeah. opening scene with the big hand coming in and all that. Like it's that's a fun. It's a well done trailer. I'm not pulling that, but I'm like, I don't know. And I can tell you having been in the audience, probably in one of the, the one of the f- fondest memories of my career thus far was when I was at, at Comic-Con when we played the Deadpool trailer for the first time. That was sure. an absolute, and the crowd, they just, we had to play it twice because everyone was just so into it and they loved it. And it was just a great, and it was a movie that they'd been clamoring for, for years. And Ryan Reynolds had been begging us to make it. So it was just, it was such a, it's a, it's a great m- environment to premiere material like that. But again, they're going to see it regardless. You go to Comic-Con because you want to, you want to get the press. And 
Marvel, obviously, I think won the press battle. They got all pretty much all the people are still talking about it. The the Wakanda Forever trailer essentially broke the internet, basically, and people have been raving about it ever since. So you know, Marvel wins when it comes to Comic Con for sure. And you know, but other than that, they've got a lot more work to do. I mean, it's it it really is going to be about because yeah, She Hulk's great, you know, that's but it's going to be on Disney Plus. The challenging of you know popping streaming and getting eyeballs on streaming series that don't have like the cultural cachet of like an Obi Wan are going to be a challenge for sure. How badly would you have wanted to work on that Wakanda Forever trailer? I would not want to have wanted to work on it because I know the headaches that working on movie trailers like that, the expectations and. I'm sure I, uh, John, I, I think John because when you would, deliver it's like the the most amazing oh thing it's in the world. it's worth it 100% but a headaches trying to get that thing over the finish line it's never I mean you the watching a finished product play in a theater or in front of a crowd like that is always a that's like the Super Bowl of trailers moments like you yeah it's, it's like moments when, like that yeah it is yeah. it absolutely is I mean playing in a crowd like in Hall H I don't know if you've ever been to Hall H Tim but it's massive and it's just filled with comic book geeks and it's just it is it's a phenomenal experience and you know i i in my my time when i went i'd always have fun there i remember one time i was at there's a there's a, a i can't remember the name of the restaurant but there's a restaurant and it was myself it was cammy and i cammy sergeant and we were at the bar just having a drink you know because it was i think it was the night before our presentation because we always had to go in the night because our our tech check was always like four in the morning <laughs> so we always had to go early so and then we would just you know hang out in san diego for a day and then the next day would next the following day would be our panel and we were there and i was just sitting there and i ordered a drink i ordered drinks for cammy and i and we're just kind of sitting there and then i just happened to look over and there's this bald like cue ball guy sitting next to me and i'm like who the heck and sure enough it's james mcavoy <laughs> Oh yeah. <laughs> they had just flown in from Vancouver where they were shooting uh I think they were shooting um Days of Future Past and they just came they just come and then he showed up then um the guy who plays B show Nick Nick Holt showed up and then and I was just like and I, I nudged Cammy and I was like and she just was like <laughs> it was like a double take it's like what but that's the kind of thing that happens at Comic Con. It's just it's just kind of random like that. But anyway. Yeah, yeah, sure. I have to say, I saw Elvis over this weekend. Oh, nice. Have you seen Elvis yet? I have not seen Elvis yet. Oh man, oh man. It Boz Lerman, he every transition, there's I don't think there's a, a cut or a fade in the movie at all. It's just like uh cinematic transitions from one scene to the next to the next to the next. So, so well done. Um, it's interesting how he is telling stories um, and he does it visually. Elvis is a perfect person for him to work on it because of mm-hmm. the glitz and all the shiny stuff and all that theatrical dress and, yeah. you know, dancing and all that stuff. It's just so perfect for him. Um, but it's interesting how he told the story about Elvis in a way that it wasn't like, um, walk the line or the Ray Charles movie or like, it wasn't like we didn't recall somebody in a, in a biopic in the same way. Mm-hmm. He played more to the feelings and the, the um, soundtrack he used was awesome. Um, it wasn't all just period mm-hmm. um, soundtrack. He was using contemporary sounds mixed in. 
he remixed some of the songs. Obviously, um, they perform some of the songs also just for the for the show. But absolutely, I just um, the evolution of filmmaking and the opportunity he's taking advantage of being digital film. I think he's doing an amazing job because he's going beyond the traditional old you know, way of putting a film together where you basically have to do cuts and fades because that's all you could do in physical mm-hmm. film with digital. You can do so much more, especially within the 3d space. Uh, it's just amazing. I love, I love the work that he did. He is definitely a fantastic visual filmmaker. I mean, yeah. I, I, I just remember, I mean, the only movie I worked on with him was Australia, um, which wasn't necessarily a box office success. But some of the, just the way he shot it, it was just had that old school Hollywood epic feel to it. And he is just such a visual filmmaker. And obviously Moulin Rouge is a fantastic movie. Yeah. Like the, the originality in that film is just spectacular. So I imagine it probably applied similar to Elvis. Oh, very much. Yeah. Yeah. And just the, um, you can tell that he's trying to ask new questions about like, what should filmmakers do? How should we portray things? It had like a... The story itself had almost a similar feel to like what Aaron Sorkin did with Steve Jobs, where in that case, I felt like Aaron Sorkin wrote the piece the way Shakespeare wrote about Caesar. Mm. Like, you know, you had to like build scenes related to someone's life, but really there's another story. And so he took, you know, the Steve Jobs book and turned it into five major launches. But Mm. obviously, you know, in real life, those things happen over time. Yeah. I think um, Boz did the same thing. He's like, I'm going to show the influence of people and time and moment. And there was this, you know, there's this awesome play of like, how did Elvis become Elvis? Mm-hmm. Like what was actually happening that this one person and this one move changed everything. And yeah. there was a buildup to the scene where he first got on stage and the Tom Hanks character, um, um, Colonel, 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 yeah, I can't remember yeah, his name. Yeah, the Colonel. About. The Colonel. They just called him the Colonel. Colonel Tom <laughs> something, yeah. Um, <clears throat> first sees him. And yeah. there's just like the, there's a tipping point. And then basically a wave he couldn't stop. Um, so super great. I, I, you know, talk about people that their whole career is doing something. Yeah. Um, I think, feel like Baz Luhrmann is like, he figured out how filmmaking works and, and plays himself into it. Um, yeah, when I saw it, when they announced he was directing it, I was like, "Yeah, that works. That that movie's going to be, it's going to be a thing yeah. with him running the show." And it turned out that was correct. Yeah. So yeah, grab nice. your wife and go on a date, Keith. This is a good uh, thing. Yeah, the theaters aren't very close, but I can maybe convince her to do that. We'll see. Come on, you have in laws to watch the kids while you're in Maine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sure, I do. Um. Hey, so Netflix reports came out last week. Yeah. You know, a mixed bag or whatever. And then gray man. So Mm -hmm. I was, um, I was thinking like, what, I wonder what it's like to go to work on Monday morning at Netflix after like, you know, last week was Mm. stressful and people were waiting and the response, you don't know what's going to happen. And then there's a weekend and you're looking for this big show opening weekend. And now that it's all done and you're showing up to work on a Monday after that uh, moment, Mm -hmm. um, 
I wonder what that's like. Do you feel relieved? Do you feel like, okay, like now uh, we're just going to, you know, next quarter is coming soon enough. We better start talking about that. I've just from the reports I've read and some of the people I've talked to, I think a lot of the employees have kind of just moved on from it. Um, obviously there's still a lot of angst because the, you know, the report was a bit of a mixed bag that they did lose ex- subscribers, but they didn't lose as many as they thought they were going to, as the street thought they were going to. So that, again, positive. Um, but I, I, it's it's got to be, it's, you know, you got to ha- have a little bit of angst because there was a famous article that was written probably about four or five years ago by uh, was prof- New York Netflix was profiled in the time New York Times, and they wrote this article about the lobby of Netflix and how it was the one spot you could go where you could run into like Obama and Brad Pitt at the same time because they're both there because there's one lobby it's just you walk into the building at their big Hollywood complex and it's just the lobby and that's where everyone sits and waits for whatever executive to come down and pick them up so it was like the place to be in Hollywood now obviously that lobby is not as bustling as it once was um but I, you know, I think it's got to be a little challenging. I mean, wh- you know, when you go through, um, I, the one thing I, I, I would say is it seems like a lot of the, the, the theories have always been that the industry itself is sort of resistant to booms and busts of the economy. Like during the 08, 09 boom, bust, I would say, um, I was fortunate enough to be able to keep my job at Fox and it didn't really affect us really. Um, even though there are a lot of people who were affected by it and we weren't, I was not. Um, but I feel like this time around with, you know, potentially another recession coming down the pike inflation, it seems to be starting to hit a lot more than it has in the past. So I think there's a lot more anxiety. Um, and there's a lot less places to go, especially if you leave Netflix where they pay you an exorbitant amount of money. And you can't get paid that somewhere else. I mean, I've heard stories of people who were petrified of losing their jobs because they knew that they went somewhere else, they wouldn't be able to afford their mortgage. First of all, that's their fault for being irresponsible. (laughs) (laughs) A house that they wouldn't be able to afford unless they were at Netflix. Um, But, you know, there's also the whole thing of their comp packages where they potentially give you the option to buy stock. And if you started a year ago, and you were like, yeah, this stock just keeps going. You're probably like, I'm going to take half my salary in stock. Now look at it. It's in the toilet compared to where it was two years ago. So now you have to sit, sit it out and wait till the stock starts to recover more. And you know, luckily after their uh, earnings report last week, it didn't take another dive. So it kind of stayed pretty steady. So, I mean, I think there's just a lot more anxiety than there was in the past. So I think everyone's a little anxious. Now, are there people that feel protected? Probably. Um, they've probably feel like they're they're going to pass keepers tests till you know the cows come home but i think with the prospect of more layoffs as well as the uneasiness on the industry as a whole i think it's still a little like you're still a little anxious and i you know netflix isn't like the place everyone wants to go anymore I think there are a lot of people who are probably starting to look you know look other other places now yeah in the idea of like navigating your career to you know, what point is the right time to leave something like Netflix? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and you're right. There's not, there's not a necessarily a soft landing somewhere else. You have to mm-hmm. kind of launch from Netflix into a more unknown trajectory in order to yeah. find the same kind of like buzz that you're used to because Netflix mm-hmm. obviously has been this, um, you know, uh, building enterprise, you know, powerhouse for so many years. 
that you that that idea of being unfamiliar where where the world's going to go opposed to being so possibly feeling secure if you've been there for 10 years or so feeling very secure like oh this isn't going anywhere we're yeah. killing it we're the yeah. monopoly on the planet that's doing this um but you're right like just after I, that's like after last week's earning i almost wonder like do you feel relieved like oh my gosh i'm glad it's over um it's not as bad as everyone thought it was going to be our you know our stock it even seemed like the uh, stock went up a little bit or at least um held its ground yeah it, it didn't it didn't tank like it did at the last earnings report, yeah. You know, I think at the peak at one point was almost $700 per share, and now it's mm-hmm. hovering around $200. Yeah. So, you know, how much further can it fall is going to be one of the questions you can ask. But, you a know, lot. if you ask that question, there's a lot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 200 times yeah, more. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. <clears throat> but I also wonder if there's like, uh, like, do you just feel like you're back in the grind? Um, you know, yeah. some days when I would walk into the office, I would feel like, oh, you know, last week was so great there. I could ride away for a while. And then you would hit Monday morning. You're like, no, that didn't last long at all. Just have to get back at it. Yeah. Um, and sometimes you just felt like oh, I just want to take a nap. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that that goes to like the big difference be- in a lot of ways between streaming and theatrical. Um I heard a lot of people who said when they were working at some of the streamers, particularly Netflix, like it was just like you, you get your trailer out, you'd get your thumbnail out, boom, on to the next. It premieres on the service. There's no like, hey, good job, way to go. Then it's on to the next movie. Whereas like a theatrical experience, you go to, we go home Friday, Friday evening, fingers crossed. You're checking, you're checking your email Saturday morning to see what Friday night looked like. Um, and you usually have a good sense because they've released them now on Thursdays. So you have a Thursday. sense with directions, but yeah. you knew that come Monday, you kind of had a sense by Saturday afternoon, what your Monday was going to be like. There was either going to be a Hosanna's in the hallway or everyone was going to be gloomy. And then yeah. you kind of, you kind of total triage, day. like trying yeah, to rescue you it for week two. If it was a great movie and it went really well, you, you, you'd have a great celebration. Um, that was one thing that Tom Rothman was really great at was sort of the Monday mornings. If we made a certain amount, I think it was 60 million or was it 40 million? I can't remember. There was a number. He would bring in one of his like fancy old school 1967 Mustangs, his bright red Mustang. And he would bring it in if we <laughs> opened a movie and you knew when you walked in morning, cause I, the way I walked into the office, I could see all the cars, all the senior executives. You knew if I walked in and the red car was there, we're going to have a good day. But if it wasn't there, <laughs> you knew it was going to be a dark day because, oh boy, the movie didn't open. He's going to be mad. It's going to be rough. Um, so I think that's a big difference. It, you know, you you get a chance to celebrate, but in the streaming world, you don't. So for, for Netflix, for example, it's like they got Gray Man out the door, which was one of their bigger promotions, albeit, I would argue, not one of their greater ones. But, um, you know, they're just on to the next, on to the next, on to the next. So it's Monday morning at Netflix. They're probably... Okay, what's our next movie? What's next? What's next? Yeah, what's right. next? And I think that's the struggle when you come to streaming. And then, you know, you're also dealing with the press obsessing about your stock price. So that doesn't help either. And the fact that there are rumblings, it's going to be more layoffs, which also doesn't ease your anxiety. Yeah, I think it's going to be called, I think we should just change the name to Netflux. Just like, ah, just like coming and going Uh-oh, of, I think of things. Title. <laughs> 
kind of a title there. Yeah. Yep. Yep. But you just feel like it's uh, it's just turned into the comings of goings and yeah. worrying about something else very different than making films or making an influence or the lobby. Like the chatter isn't who's in the lobby anymore. It's can we survive a weekend of bad earnings and possibly a good hit? We don't. What do we have a great man numbers. I don't have the numbers. I haven't seen them yet. Um, I'm sure they'll be out soonish. It's Netflix's numbers, so that's the greatest movie they've ever released of all time. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people are getting sick of. Well, I, I mean, I know Sean McNulty is definitely calling BS on their numbers. I also call it because it's this greatest movie ever ever made, and then look how many hours we watched. What the heck does that even mean? Like, so I don't, I, I don't necessarily buy them, and you know, I don't see a lot of people screaming and shouting because the reviews on the movie were not great um and so you know i i, I don't think it's uh going to be the big hit that they had anticipated it to be because they were banking this was going to launch franchise a franchise oh and really they were going to build a franchise potential another movie around chris evans character because i guess he's like this villain in this movie and they were going to potentially do another movie around him i don't know if all that's just completely collapsed because of what just happened um, I mean, again, I don't know, like they're, they're going to come out and they'll, they'll spin it however they want to spin it. And that's, that's the thing that I think a lot of people are frustrated by Netflix is they don't have to live by the other, the, the rules that most other studios have to live by when it comes to whether or not a movie's a hit, they can just kind of make it up. Here's Forbes review. Netflix's gray man is better than the critics say. <laughs> How is that even like a good review? Well, it's not as bad as everyone said. That's it not was. as bad as everybody said it was. <laughs> So it says it's, uh, it's better than the critics say and worth your time. So like, well, there you, oh, go. There you go. There's a rave review. That's a There's franchise. A, that's a rave if I've ever read one. Yeah. <laughs> There's a review spot right, for my you friend. Netflix. <laughs> I'm glad that the fog didn't roll in too bad and you can keep your internet connection all that you need yes. to this week. My The chipmunk is, you know, is working hard to keep the wheel spinning. So keep it going. Keep working. It going. <laughs> yeah, he gets a little freaked out when the fog rolls in. That's when he stops and that's when my internet drops. But exactly. I have got them going now, so we're all in good shape. <laughs> Keep giving them those peanuts. Yeah. All right. Take your wife out on a date this week. Enjoy I will. Elvis. We'll go try to go see Elvis. I know. I got to see Elvis. I got to finish Doctor Strange. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, you can come on. You can watch Doctor Strange. You can watch 15 minutes a day for yeah, and have true. it be done in a week. I try, not, I try not to focus too much on screen time when I'm up here, Tim. This is my, my reset time when I don't stare at a screen all the time. It's been my entire nine ten months out of the year looking at a screen i try to take a break every now and then that's a good idea yeah that's exactly mm-hmm. but you should watch elvis and finish <laughs> <laughs> okay fair enough uh, i'll violate right, my rule just for you tim <laughs> yeah, so your kids are like dad used to love us and now he's just no, i'm just kidding yeah exactly all right later my friend yeah we'll see you next week